Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate right along with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hi. Josh Dean. Hello there. Nathan McKinney. Hi. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And this week we're discussing my suggestion, uh, Love and Mercy, which is about Brian Wilson. In the 60s, Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson struggles with emerging psychosis as he attempts to craft his avant-garde pop masterpiece. While in the 80s, he is a broken, confused man under 24-hour watch of the shady therapist Dr. Dr. Eugene Landy. Not Dr. Judy Langine. Um, (laughs) Whatever I was trying to say. Uh, First, we'll talk about what we've been watching lately. I'll go first. Uh, Last week, I had started watching Sean Ryan's current show, SWAT, and I have now watched all of the available uh, episodes of SWAT, which is something like 71. Um, And I have to say, it's, it's well worth it. It is not a great show. It's not The Shield. It's not... Um, it's not his best work, but it is an absolutely fine way to spend your time, um, watching that it's, it's well-written. Um, there's, there's way more episodes than they seem to have good storylines for, but there are some characters that are really strong and, and episodes that focus around them tend to be really good. So, um, Oddly enough, the very next episode that I watched after we recorded last week's show is the episode that sold me on the show completely. I was like, oh, this is real good. This is really good. So it's not very many uh, crime procedurals that actually have a message and make me think about that message. Um, And it's not like, you know, oh, we're we're doing a, a metaphor for this today. On, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're just having a, having a little discussion about current times here, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was it for me. Uh, Zach, how about you? Um, I'm not going to talk about Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings because most people would probably expect me to, but I don't have much to say about it. Uh, instead, I will recommend a beautiful little docuseries that it was recommended to me by a friend on HBO Max called Small Town News. Uh, it is six episodes. They are very digestible, uh, about 20-ish minutes or so, 30 minutes or so. And it is a documentary uh, about one of the only independent television stations that's left in the United States that's not owned by a conglomerate or corporation. Um, And so uh, it uh, takes place in Pahrumpf, Nevada, which is just on the other side of the, uh, of the, um, the hill, I guess mountains. Yeah. It borders Las Vegas. It's right over there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to say it's hard to believe it's not either scripted really well or improvised. It is, just to watch people in their element, especially about this small town news station, but the way that they talk to each other and interact with each other and the timeline that it follows, which is roughly um, just pre-COVID through 
uh, the election. Uh, so roughly a year or so, um, late 2019 to late 2020. And the guy who owns the television studio is an avid Trump supporter. Of course. And, oh, it's just, it's beautiful to watch, especially the reactions around the time of the election. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many other wonderful moments. Um, I, I think, like I said, it's easily digestible. I think you can get through the first episode and just, you know, determine for yourself. But um, it's like watching a Christopher Guest film. I mean, it's it's just that fun and like unique and, and, and interesting. Um, and, and I, and I truly loved it and they are doing a second season. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna look forward to that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a nice one. It's a fun one. Sweet. Josh, how about you? Uh, yeah, um, I will do a comic book based, uh, recommendation this <laughs> week. Uh, I've been watching why the last man on, uh, Hulu, uh, FX on Hulu. Um, I, it was a big fan of the comic book. I've read, I read the whole series. So, um, was pretty excited to see this come out and it's been a, as faithful an adaptation as I could imagine them being able to pull off. Um, it's, uh, if anybody doesn't know, it's about um, a plague has wiped out all the men on Earth except for one and his monkey, his pet monkey. Uh, and his mother just happens to be next in line to be the president of the United States after all the men die. Um, so there's all sorts of conspiracy theories abounding about why he's the one that survived. And um uh, he gets in various adventures and misadventures. Um, the Culper ring uh, of spies is highly involved in it. If anybody's familiar with that, George Washington's history with that. Um, anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's three episodes in Diane Lane does an amazing job um, as uh, the main character's mother. Um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it and I will continue to watch it. Sounds good. Do they answer the question, why the last man? Why the last man? They will eventually, I'm sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Christine, how about you? Uh, so this past weekend, uh, we were on a little bit of, uh, oh my gosh, the name just slipped my mind. Carrie Grant? <laughs> yep. Carrie Grant kick. Thank you. Miranda <laughs> <Yep>. July. Yeah. <laughs> No. I did watch a Miranda July movie this weekend. Wow. But he did. Not yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, we were <laughs> we were on a bit of a Cary Grant kick, and so we watched uh, the uh, older, notorious movie uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Cary one. Grant, uh, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains. Uh, so good. Uh, only available on Tubi right now, uh, as far as we we're aware. Uh, but it was fun to watch, uh, fun to watch, uh, people just fall instantly in love with Cary Grant, no matter what the situation is within mm-hmm. the first like 10 minutes, they're instantly in love with Cary Grant. Uh, this one happens to be, he's, uh, an American spy and he's, uh, working on, uh, figuring out what, uh, these uh, men are doing in uh, oh my gosh Brazil Brazil yes thank you uh, what they're up to and he's enlisting uh, a former uh, Nazi daughter uh, to uh, spy for him 
in their midst and tried to get information for the Americans. And then, of course, she falls in love with him and he falls in love with her. And it's just very interesting to watch. Right on. It's cool to see you guys completing each other there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, Nathan, how about you? <laughs> the real uh, Jerry Maguire situation. Exactly. Uh, Each other's sandwiches. Uh, yep. Well, I had started uh I had started watching Miracle Workers a while back, so I don't remember if I actually talked about it or not before. I might have. Uh but at this point I've actually completed pretty much most of the first two seasons. I think I've got like 10, 20 minutes left to watch on the last uh, second season. I, I can just kind of vouch for it. It's I think it's as good as The Good Place. I mean, it's the same kind of humor. Um, mm-hmm. I love that it's an anthology series, so they can kind of just reboot everything and kind of reshuffle all the same actors and actresses. And I, I'm, I, you know, I fell in love with the, the cast quite a bit in the first season, and honestly that love carried over even though they were already playing different characters because they're they're it's basically just a comedy where they get to kind of play themselves a little bit as comedians inside the show but still putting on a really great story and i and i really have to appreciate i mean uh uh steve buscemi he's way better at comedy than i mean i knew he's a funny guy because he always plays kind of a straight funny guy and all like like these coen brothers roles and that sort of thing but he really does a great job in this playing more just straight funny and it's he's great um so yeah, there's a reason he's in it. so many adam sandler movies yeah and it, and i also think uh i mean daniel radcliffe really really doing some of his best work here as far as i can tell so yeah I'm, i think it's a great series yeah the third season's gonna be organ trail yeah, I saw. I've I've been looking forward to that. Unfortunately, the the first two I've been watching on uh, HBO Max, and then they're not. Yeah, posting the third season yet. So I'm, I'm assuming that will happen. Can't we'll wait, watch though. it together, Nathan? Then we'll complete each other. <laughs> <laughs> the Oregon what? Oregon I, trail. trail. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alicia, how about you? Uh, well, we got out to an actual movie theater this weekend, which had been a long time for us, and we saw the movie The Card Counter. So I'm not sure if that's already been discussed, but uh, Paul Schrader movie um, written and directed by Paul Schrader, and uh, it's got Oscar Isaac in it, and he plays, um, you find out as the movie uh, progresses that he's an ex-vet um, who uh, was at Abu Ghraib uh, during all the uh torture the um what, what's the the special word for that the like optimized interrogation or whatever what's it enhanced called? interrogation enhanced that's it that's right so the torture so he's there at that time and uh and he ends up in prison and while he's in prison he really appreciates the structure of prison and he learns how to be a card counter he learns how to be an expert at cards so now that he's been out all he does 24 hours a day essentially seven days a week as he travels around the country to different casinos and counts cards and he does blackjack and he goes into poker tournaments and just wins enough to not get anybody pissed off like people figure out he's counting cards and then he's like see ya like he's he's not breaking the bank he's not trying to he's just his whole life is under the radar essentially is how he lives so it's also got uh, tiffany haddish in it and kind of more of a dramatic role she plays someone who recruits him to be part of her stable 
of players that have uh, big money backers. Uh, so he decides to do it only because of another character that, that comes into his life. And I won't say much more, but this other character uh, is played by Ty Sheridan, and, and he's a younger guy. And uh, he kind of affects him pretty dramatically, and so he decides to to kind of get into some big poker games because of him. So it's interesting. Uh, I liked it. I, I can't say it's my favorite Paul Schrader. I mean, it's it's not early 80s late 70s it's not raging bull it's you know it's not taxi driver but but it's very interesting and kind of seeing him take a turn with this is is uh i liked it i like kind of what he did with it. i thought oscar isaac was great he's just a, a very cool customer and then you you know you realize all the other backstory of what happened to him and uh you've got a little willem dafoe mixed in there too so you know when you hear that you're like oh willem dafoe i mean someone's like willem dafoe's in it. I'm like, well let's go see it willem dafoe's in it we got to go see it so uh it was kind of a nice movie to get back to the theater watching here is kind of places start rolling out their you know, award bait and all that kind of stuff around this time of year. So, yeah, I would recommend The Card Counter. Cool. Yes, the incomparable, confusingly large Willem Dafoe. We'll always watch a movie with him in it. Um, so, yeah, our movie this week was Love and Mercy. Um, I suggested it. Um, I think I said last week on the podcast, uh, or maybe just to all of you uh, off of the recording, that uh, somebody had asked a question about, you know, what are the worst music biopics out there? And while I was sitting there thinking about answering all of them, um, this one came to mind and I was like, no, that's a good one. That's, that's, that's a, that's a great one actually. Um, So that's, that's why I suggested it. And I did think that a lot more of you had seen it than had. So that's a happy accident that I introduced you all of this movie. We'll see whether that was a good thing in your opinion or not. Um, but uh, let's start with uh, with Zach. What did you think of uh, Love and Mercy? Yeah, um, there was definitely... Uh, I, I, I always try... I'm fumbling to like express it. I thought it was like a perfect film. <laughs> like, I mean, I thought it was just so good. Um, the only, my only like note is literally yeah. like, I would have liked to have had some, some dates to like make a little, but I got the concept of, you know, when they were in the sixties and when they were in the eighties, like that was, it was very clear. So, you know, I wasn't upset about it just like a little like like 1985 or whatever but that that but honestly seriously everything else about the film was perfect i uh had not ever heard of the film before so i can definitely see dale why like you know you get into these these music biopics and things um and there's a lot of them that just don't really do bands justice or stories justice um i was never really a beach boys fan but i've always enjoyed their music i just it's kind of always yeah, been there yeah and uh, and Brian Wilson definitely being the most notable, um, heard his name a lot, but never really knew his story or stories about him or the Beach Boys uh, in general. And so for me, it was very fresh and very new and very invigorating. And uh, I think that it, it, I was just taken aback by how much I enjoyed it in, as a whole, um, but also the individual performances of pretty much the entire cast was just incredible. Uh, watching Paul Dano as, as him, as Brian Wilson, as in, in his, you know, his uh, not youth, youth, but like younger years of the Beach Boys yeah. years. 
and then watching um uh, john cusack john cusack thank you um play him as uh in the future and just seeing the 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 it was like contrast but yet like spot on it, you know it, it, because of all the things and circumstances and life experiences that he's been through um and then uh god what's i can't remember not is elizabeth banks right elizabeth banks yeah she's a performance she's a, of her career in my opinion she, she's a gem she's like a national treasure she's so like, good <laughs> so good um and uh, yeah just just everybody and uh, the with their performances i i will say this um dale you've kind of gotten me more into that mindset about how flashbacks fuck up everything uh and i've been very critical of flashbacks <laughs> since starting to do this podcast more however and I mean, maybe you guys can talk to this more a little bit too. I don't consider what was being shown to me necessarily a flashback. It, you know, in terms of like, explain the to me what you think my problem with flashbacks are. Just that they're not necessary. I don't remember this. <laughs> that they're not necessary. Like they don't really add to the to the story. Like they can, but like not. They're not I, always. I, I just I only dislike them when they're when they're not done well or when they're right. used to to especially like in a TV show where they use it to retcon something into the story sure. for this week, you know, so they're showing, you know, some very relevant story from someone's past that <laughs> is affecting what they're about to do on the show. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't have like a, uh, knee jerk <laughs> reaction to, no, to flashbacks. I, I, I know I get it. <laughs> I did. You just made me more aware of what their purpose serves as opposed to like, mm seeing them on a regular basis right yeah um but i did enjoy the contrast the flipping back and forth between the two time periods and uh you know getting to see a lot of that stuff and how everything played into the the life that he lived um and and how people treated him and you know again like obviously this being a biopic it's like they they pick and choose what parts of the story they want to put in and i'm sure there's a lot more other things that are you know, involved. Like I, as a matter of fact, one thing that I didn't see in the film that I'm curious about, maybe y'all might know more about this, but was it Brian Wilson or someone from the beach boys involved with Charlie Manson? Right. Uh, it was not Brian Wilson. It was, okay. uh, and, and it's very tangential. Um, well, the, but his followers were living in one of the beach boys, houses for a while. Sort of, kind of like, um, I, I don't remember if it, it was one of his brothers. I think, I think it was, might've been Carl. Um, yeah. uh, but it, it, anyway, to, to make a very long story that I don't have all sure. the absolute facts in front of me. Sure. I can research it. Yeah. Um, essentially what happened is Manson met one of the beach boys and started to like hang out in that circle. Right. And by hanging out in that circle, he got studio time and it's that studio time that ended in failure that set him down the path that ended in the Tate and LaBianca murders. Like right him going to Sharon Tate's house, he was actually going to the house where the studio used to be. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even meant to be her. Right. And yeah. Charlie wasn't even there for that. Right. So, but that's that's the connection yeah. between the Beach Boys and and Charles Manson. So sure. So it didn't have anything to do with Brian necessarily. So there was no reason to put it into the film. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, time-wise, in in the young section of the film, we see him make the movie Pet or make the album Pet Sounds, right? Which was nineteen sixty-seven or sixty-eight, and then Smile, which eventually was the project that broke him and he got thrown out of the beach boys and they did, they finished that album without him. Um, he later finished that album, like in the past, like 15 or 20 years, he finished it and released his version of it. Um, but, uh, so that was all happening in kind of that time. And it, it was enough of a footnote that like those murders would have been happening right about the time he was getting kicked out of the beach boys or somewhere in there that they didn't even bother to, to talk about it. Yeah. Um, Cause again, it, it really wasn't him. He really wasn't like one of the partying beach boys at that point. He really was this (laughs) sort of, you know, savant studio genius who just made music all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually have not heard the Animal Sounds album, but I'm very I want to now because of it. I don't know why I haven't. <laughs> Maybe because you've been looking for Animal Sounds. Oh, sorry, what is it? Pet Sounds. Pet <laughs> Sounds. Jesus, sorry. Um, they're not they're not the same, right? They they remastered it not long ago and it actually um has improved um how that how that album comes across quite a bit, but uh uh, Alicia, how about you? What did you think of Love and Mercy? I liked it. I had it kind of in my periphery when it came out. I knew it existed, but I didn't, uh, you know, pursue it at the time for whatever reason. Um, I, you know, know a basic amount about the Beach Boys. I know about, you know, Brian Wilson's genius and and things like that, and a lot more about that later stuff that happened with him with his mental condition and things like that yeah. when that got out in the news. So I know a little bit of the backstory for some of this, but but still, uh, you know, learned a lot more, I think, in watching it. And I, I think what I really enjoyed was the fact that they, you know, most biopics do tell you uh, the whole, I mean, the whole story is they've chosen to tell it, but very much a chronological what all is going on with all these different people. You're explaining all the characters very thoroughly and their background and everything. And I kind of appreciate that it didn't really get into all that. It didn't need to. Uh, but it, it did it enough so that it makes me want to follow up and investigate more about who was the Beach Boys, you know, at least the Wilson brothers' dad, and what what was his role, and what all was that going on with the family, and then you know his wife, and how did he meet her, and what happened with those kids, and you know, like you, they they kind of just allude to things and maybe drop a few simple facts about some things just to make the story move forward. But I kind of, in a way, it was kind of nice that it was more compact, and they just were focusing on Brian Wilson and these really important time periods when he's doing pet sounds and then this important time when he's essentially trying to get his independence again after um, you know a, a mental diagnosis that turned out to not be correct so I thought that was really interesting uh, I was kind of surprised at first when John Cusack came on and he was also playing Brian Wilson I was expecting him to be another character mm-hmm. uh, in it after we'd already seen Paul Dano uh, playing him I thought they I didn't know if they would age Paul Dano or what they might do but 
but I think I was expecting something more like that. Uh, my favorite scenes were in the studio. So I loved watching him in the studio recording, talking to all of the, in particular, they focus a lot more on showing like the classical musicians uh, or the jazz musicians and him, you know, talking in, in very specific detail about exactly what he wants and the sounds in his head, which we've seen some of that a little bit in some other movies. But but I, I really enjoyed kind of seeing that because I'd heard about his masterful use of the studio, even maybe at the, you know, at the boredom of the other Beach Boys, but but just seeing how he just wanted it just like he was hearing it in his head. And, and then to think about how specific that is, that that's all in his head was just kind of blew my mind. So yeah, I really liked it. I, I agree. Elizabeth Banks was not someone maybe I would have thought of for that role, but she did a fantastic job. Um, Paul Giamatti is exactly the person I would have thought of for that role. And he pretty much played Paul Giamatti being that guy, which is great. I mean, that's who they needed for that, you know, but that wasn't necessarily the performance that was wowing me like he does in a lot of other movies I see him in. But but yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I was glad to watch it. Yeah. Um, getting into more depth about um, stuff that happened, you know, it's it's funny because I think I think it's pretty universal that watching this movie, the experiences that it seems like a very simple um, story. It has a lot of forward momentum. It doesn't seem like it's a long movie, but it's two hours and mm-hmm. it sustains two hours, like almost breathlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you just keep wanting to know more and keep wanting to know more. And the way the two time frames are woven together is just, it's brilliant. Um, I think it's, it's really really to be lauded a couple of people have talked about how they saw this and and didn't you know go and see it right away um i'll be the first to throw my hand up and say this is not a movie i would have sought out or seen because i have so much uh bile for most music biopics they drive me crazy um but this came out in 2015 when i was seeing every single movie that came out in theaters so I saw this one, and for every one of these, I saw 10 Ricky and the Flashes, so, or <laughs> Mamma Mia 2s, or whatever oh, the hell was coming out that week, so. <laughs> Nathan, let's talk about a better movie. Uh, Love and Mercy, what'd you think? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I consider Ricky and the Flash a biopic, unless you consider it, it's, she's fictional, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to see it. It was a music movie that I had to see. Okay. It, it, I mean, I actually, I mean, music movies in general, not just biopics, that drive me up the wall. I mean, I consider myself somewhat of a music nerd, and when I have a movie in general that has a great soundtrack, I love it. And so, by definition, if it's a band I like, I probably like the movie most of the time, unless it's just really poorly executed. This one was not poorly executed. It's among the better music biopics I've ever seen, for sure. I I, I have some like tiny quibbles with it, but really, sure. I mean, my my biggest quibbles honestly were, you know, all actors and actresses have like their own toolkit of what they use to kind of put a character up in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many John Cusack movies that I kind of know what his toolkit is uh, most of the time. Was that your reason for not seeing the film? It was a little bit, actually. I didn't actually. I had no idea. Just like Alicia said, I had no idea he was playing an that older he was Brian also Wilson. playing Brian. Yeah. I, in fact, the way the poster makes it look, it's kind of like he's a mentor to Paul Dano's 
Brian Wilson. So I, I think that's honestly what turned me off of it. Um, I, but I like his portrayal in this. I think he just gets slightly beyond his normal John Cusack toolkit, um, which is really nice to see because John Cusack's a great actor. I love him in a lot of things, but he always does play similar type characters a lot of the time, which I don't have a problem with. I think uh, I wish he could have let go of just a smidge more of his John Cusack so he could fully be the character and not John Cusack in, in, in my book. But um, Paul Dano, I don't, I haven't seen nearly as many movies with him in it. I could almost say a similar thing about him. He, his character felt like a repeat of like a couple of the performances I've seen him like there will be blood in some ways. Okay. So um, it's not bad. It was just a little distracting to me. Um, and I think the only other thing, I mean, I love it when movies choose to edit what parts of the story we're seeing. But I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, towards the end of the movie, I just needed a tiny bit more connection between story A and story B to understand the family's relationship to Brian Wilson in the family's relationship to Paul Giamatti's character and how that kind of like came together in such a way where he was so trapped because I, from the very get go of the movie, it seemed like, Oh, his family's just kind of like bullshitting their way around being their, his brother and not really paying attention to it. So I, I was, I was struggling, especially as Elizabeth Banks, who, by the way, I agree, best performance of her career from what I've seen, aside from her comedy stuff, which when she's doing comedy, she's amazing there too. But as an actress, as like a real straight role, this was fantastic for her. But anyways, back to what I was saying, I think that um, especially as she was trying to reach out to the family, you don't really see the dialogue happening there of what she's getting back from them. And it just kind of like jumps to the final thing. And to make it even worse, the final thing doesn't say what his actual diagnosis was, which aggravated the heck out of me. Cause it's like, we just watched this whole movie about a guy who's struggling with issues and he supposedly had it fixed to a degree, but you don't even say what it was he actually had. Even if it's complicated, I don't care. Just well, give me a definition. Too, if they make the point to say in the text at the end of the movie that he was not paranoid schizophrenic, to say he was not paranoid schizophrenic. Instead, and was he Mick was this. diagnosed, and now he's now he's under medication. I, they wouldn't have necessarily had to say. They could have just said he was misdiagnosed and went on to you know find out what he needed i think i i was kind of curious too but maybe that's one of the things we're just left to figure out ourselves or or maybe it's more personal I, or i something. think brian wilson by definition i mean unless you've just really studied him or something has always been a little bit of a mysterious character of like because i've always heard the stories about him hearing all these sounds in his head and they did a great job of portraying that there's a couple of other musicians out there that have that similar type problem Kristen hirsch is one of them and I've always kind of wondered what that was like to live with that kind of sound in your head. But I also am curious, like, what they thought actually caused that. Um, and, I mean, I, there's all kinds of brain issues. Maybe they can't just explain it all way that easy. But I, I kind of wanted just those little bits of detail at the end, especially in the last act of the movie, just to kind of help me get to the end of it. I think it, it's really wonderfully put together. Um, I, I've got a lot of good things to say about it as well. Um, but those were kind of my quibbles that didn't quite okay. land the landing for me all the way. Yeah, and I understand why 
they didn't go into those details. Um, why some of that stuff they just left as it is. Um, one of the things is the focus. The focus of the movie is on the two Paul Danos, um, the two Brian Wilsons, mm-hmm. and how he feels is what's important. How his family feels about him or is portrayed feeling about him in the movie is is less important. And because Brian Wilson and um, the real life uh, woman who Elizabeth Banks portrays in the movie were uh, that they had some involvement in making this movie. Um, I think they were very careful about how they portrayed their family in general, that they didn't want anybody to think that their family was bad to him or that he hated his family or anything like that. I think that's part of it. A lot of the questions that you were talking about with how does this connect to that, like what happened in between and all of that, a lot of that is done in what I consider to be really hard to to follow and take in the first time you watch the movie. It's during that montage where he's in bed and every time it cuts to the other person, it's a different actor. So it's his dad then it's John Cusack. Yeah. Then it's Paul Dano's at the end of the bed. Then there's a little boy in the bed. That's like a young, young Brian Wilson, like a child, Brian Wilson. Right. A lot of that is symbolically tying the two time periods together and they're melding it into that three year period that he spent in bed because that is actually the glue from him getting kicked out of the beach boys and him being under the care of Dr. Landy. It's that period. And that that's when he loses his marriage and he like, he's just depressed and, and like the bare naked lady song lying in bed, like Brian Wilson did. Um, so, um, that's kind of where that, where that ties in. Uh, Christine, what did you think? I really enjoyed it. I also had heard about uh, his whole situation with Landy uh, and everything. Uh, I had heard that it was much worse, obviously, than what was portrayed in the film. Uh, And from reading about it, you know, they obviously say it definitely was much worse than what was portrayed in the film. Uh, But it was good to see that they didn't shy away from some of the aspects of that. Uh, Also, I agree uh, that it was very interesting to see the process of him working in the studio and him wanting to get everything just as he heard it in his head and things like that. Um, I also, unlike Zach, I liked the fact that we didn't see the time periods like show up on the screen like when it shifted because i feel like it's not necessary to see that it it's also like him reflecting back and forth in his head about one time to another and just shifting in his head almost yeah and i think something that helps that that may not be apparent the first time you watch the movie is that there are two different chronologies going on, but they themselves are chronological to each other. Mm-hmm. So 
when he when he goes back in time, it's not ever to an earlier time than you've ever saw before. It's always the next chapter of the before time. Yeah. So there's two chronologies going by at the same time. And so it's not quite as bouncy as it might seem from someone just describing it to you. Yeah. So all in all, I really enjoyed it. And obviously the music is amazing. The Beach Boys Pet Sounds is a great album. And I really enjoyed all the time we spent with that album. And Brian Wilson's obviously musical genius. Cool. Um, Josh, surprisingly the only one besides me that had seen it before. What did you think of Love and Mercy? Yeah, I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it and uh, liked it more this time even than I did the first time, um, which was already a pretty high bar. Um, uh, There's not a lot that hasn't already been said. Uh, I'll try to put an original spin on it, but... uh, Music, any biopic, music biopic or not, um, it really frustrates me. They try to squeeze an entire life into two hours, and I I like them much better when they focus on one or two specific things like this one does. Uh, Capote is another one that I like just because it focuses on just one part of his life. Sure. Um, So, uh, yeah, I thought the the picking and choosing was excellent. Um, Also, I've been a... I discovered Pet Sounds in college, I guess, because all the bands I was listening to said they were influenced by it. So I was like, well, Hmm. if they were influenced by it, I should probably check out the original. So uh, that immediately hooked me because I was I was used to what surfing safari and stuff like that back when I was a kid. I didn't know uh, what the Beach Boys range was, Um, but uh I, that's why I really, like everybody was saying, enjoyed the studio moments where he would be like clipping on the pianos with a hairpin to try to get just the right note off or uh, trying to explain to the drummer what he wanted or something like that. Uh, I'm not even a music nerd, but I really appreciated seeing and imagine that is how it really went in the movie or in the real life. Um, uh, Cusack, uh, I think, uh, the guy doesn't get any work anymore. And I think it's a criminal shame. Uh, he did an amazing job in this. Uh, you guys are right about Elizabeth Banks. Um, the only little problem I had with it, and I noticed it more this time was Giamatti's character is written just so over the top as a villain um, that I have to wonder if he's a cartoon character sometimes, a villainy, just like uh, I was listening the whole time when you gave your little confession. (laughs) Or, um, yeah, like, just you can see through his motivations and everything. And I think uh, that's for pacing. And I also think think it's for... um, Because, so to me, um, and I'm maybe getting a little ahead of myself here, but to me, the... Part with Paul Dano is all about Brian as a mm. character. And the part with John Cusack is all about Melinda as mm. a character. And so it's important that we see what Melinda sees the doctor right. do. Sure. And that and that, yeah, like you said, expedient storytelling, and that's fine. I just Giamatti, I think, could have brought he he brought the heat. He did exactly what he was supposed to. I just feel like his part could have been written a little bit 
better hypothetically. Uh, but like you said, that probably would have slowed things down if we'd had a moment of humanity from him or some sort of just something to show that he wasn't an absolute well, monster. It, had they told the entire story chronologically, if they'd made the exact same movie, but put all the Paul Dano parts first and then the John Cusack parts, mm-hmm. you would have to introduce Landy in a more nuanced way. You would have to start out as somebody that you can trust along with Brian Mm -hmm. and then slowly realize he's, he's insane. But the way they cut it and the way they strung it together perfectly succinctly tells the story of, of who he was in Brian's life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and I hope to God, the real guy was a little bit better than that, but I guess he's not. Um, But uh, yeah, no. Yeah. I I think Uh, he actually was a hero. Um, Matzo ball soup (laughs) is a sodium bomb. Bomb. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He jumped on that sodium bomb for him. Um, Yeah. Uh, But yeah. So uh, anyway, I really enjoyed this, all the performances. Uh, Paul Dano uh, blew me away. Um, Just uh, a great, young i guess he's still a young actor um i guess he's still yeah he still counts as a young actor right um but uh yeah love and mercy big fan yeah there's a shot in uh in the paul dano section of the movie where he's in the studio and his dad's playing the music and he closes his eye and and a tear comes from his eye and they put that in all the trailers and they made that like the big still from the movie, but it still gets me every time. It's, it's so, he's so good. So good in this. Um, I kept my notes pretty short on this cause I figured people would hit a lot of the points, but, um, just a couple of things that, uh, that I noticed this time around, or I, I thought to write about this time through, um, God only knows by far is my favorite of Brian Wilson's songs. Um, the, the beach boys recorded it originally, obviously, um, watching Paul Dano slowly build this sort of, uh, plaintive piano version into the vocal of God only knows, which we learn as the song progresses that he's playing for his father for the first time. I, I I break in like a cold sweat of goosebumps every time I watch that scene. It's so damn good. And that song is so good. And the way that Paul Dano plays it, like it's the third or fourth time he's ever played it, but then still brings the vocal quality to it. And then he's just like immediately cuts it off. He's like, and then we, re- we repeat it two times. And then, you know, there's a bunch of harmonies in the chorus. And I wanted to do this with a, with a band and, you know, explaining it to his dad. Um, the montage we talked about, um, that's an incredible piece of filmmaking. And I think the more times you see the film, or at least um, by the second time you watch it, it 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 has more impact. Um, and maybe that's because you go out and you do research on Brian Wilson and it fills in some of the gaps of what's going on in that montage. But um, it's, it's so good. Um, I didn't realize until watching it this time that not only did Atticus Ross do the score for this movie, but he made the score completely out of samples from beach boys music. And so anytime something is going on, like 
Paul Dano puts the headphones on and there's just a bunch of nonsense going on. Those are all samples from Beach Boys songs or or people talking in the Beach Boys. It's it's all sampled in from that. And the only reason I know that is because unlike the first time I watched it, I stuck around and watched the credits. And at the end of the credits, every one of Atticus Ross's songs is is labeled and then it says, you know, headphone insanity by Atticus Ross uses samples from these 35 Beach Boys songs. And there's like 20 of those that he did that with to make the soundtrack, the score of the film when they're not actually doing a literal, you know, replay of a Beach Boys song or, you know, what, what constituted a music video in those days, that one like silly film they made where the, the hat suddenly made Brian transform into his brother and, that kind of stuff. Like those are all like recreations of real clips that existed. Um, and the other thing that really hit me and, uh, Aaron's not here to back me up on this. Cause he was the one in the, who saw me in the theater, but, uh, he wasn't really that sold on the ending of the movie. Uh, when we saw it, I won't, uh, I won't disparage him too much for that. Um, I thought the ending was absolutely perfect. And the thing that I told him that kind of made him come around on it was that the ending uses the song, wouldn't it be nice, which is a song all about being too young to be with the one you're with and, and, and desperately wanting it to be the time when you're old enough to make your own decisions and, and have your own relationship. And that's exactly what those two characters have accomplished at the end of the film. It's just, it's just perfect. It's the icing on the cake. If I can no. add one thing as well, I I don't really have no. great aspirations. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't have great aspirations to have a baby grand piano, but I think if I do, I want it in a sandbox. <laughs> that was amazing. Just you have cats. Put your toes. <laughs> That's a good point. I do. Uh, then I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah, go there. No. That's, well, you don't want to dig your toes, I guess, into that. But but I do like that idea of just <laughs> crunching your toes in the sand as you're playing piano. Yeah, he really did that. Um, at the height of their fame, he had a, a baby grand in in a sandbox in his house like that, and a pot tent. Um, not <laughs> yes, um, not a great thing to do to a piano. Um, not not the most uh, the most safe environment for a piano to be in. Um, I also briefly um, noticed this on my on my my rewatch here uh, that when he plays the it's when he plays that song that he just makes up on the spot for Melinda. Mm-hmm. She comes in and he's playing on it. They do a pan around and they show that he's playing a Steinway and Sons piano. But I know the sound of a Steinway and Sons piano so well because I used to record on them and other pianos. And they have a very distinctive feature in the way that they sound that I could tell that what the soundtrack was playing was not played on a Steinway piano. Or at least one that wasn't mic'd properly. (laughs) 
because when you press the damper pedal on a on a Steinway, which is the pedal that makes everything stay ringing, even if you take your fingers off the keys, which is in everything everybody plays, but you know your foot's always going on that damper pedal to keep everything alive. The Steinway and Sons damper makes this noise real it's it's real quiet but it's always there and if you ever hear somebody playing on a steinway and you listen real close you can hear that every time they move the pedal up and down so there there's my music nerd trivia for you <laughs> everyone's minds are now blown yes wow. Brian if, Wilson was my sand, dad. If sand gets in that piano, what does that sound like, Dale? Uh, it sounds worse than the prepared piano, which is what the process of putting little things on the strings like that is is mm-hmm. called. Mm-hmm. The prepared piano. I think John Cage was the first um, the first uh, composer that would would do that with prepared piano. Um, it does sound really cool to put bobby pins on like that because it'll make the string just kind of buzz and ring. It's kind of like a little distortion effect hmm. um, that you can put on there. Um, and the only other piano music trivia I think I have, I already spent on uh, talking about uh, the the dual tune pianos and wait until dark, which was something that in that time period you could only accomplish by detuning a real grand piano and then standing and playing them both. So good times. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Aaron, it is your turn to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch next? Uh, I am going to suggest the Danny Boyle film sunshine. Uh, The IMDb synopsis says a team of international astronauts are sent on a dangerous mission to reignite the dying sun with a nuclear fission bomb in 2057. Cool. It's a Danny Boyle film I haven't seen before. It sounds good. Well, thanks everybody for the discussion on love and mercy. And we'll see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast. This is Sunshine.